title of today's message is Making Room for God's Goodness. Simple. Making room for God's goodness. Life has a way of disappointing us, of difficulty, of hardships coming, of hurts coming, of offenses coming. And every so often, it's very important to push pause on simply moving forward and to investigate from time to time what's going on on the inside. Because in order to receive God's goodness in and over your life, it requires something. It requires that you make some room for God's goodness in your life. You'll know this to be true, that in order to maybe walk with a different group of people that you know God is calling you to, you know that he's brought some influences or some important people uh, spiritually even in your life, you know that in order to navigate that relationship or those relationships, oftentimes it means pulling back, not, not totally disassociating, but sometimes pulling back. That sort of moment there is simply making room for God's goodness in your life. It requires that we give up some paradigms we've lived life with. Scriptures say that He takes us from glory to what? Glory. We love to hear those, love to read those scriptures. I love to declare those over my life. But every so often, I've got to pull back and say, all right, Lord, you, you sure are dreaming big with me here. You sure are sharing some incredible things, and I keep getting drawn aside, or I keep losing focus, and sometimes they'll just come alongside and say, Paul, do you have room? Do you have room in your life for what I'm about to do? Are there some areas that, that you've been neglecting or have just forgotten about, and you've kind of been carrying through life, and you need to let go of? I think of negative thinking, a mindset habit we have. I think of Bitterness, guilt, shame, offense, hurt, jealousy, and envy. All of these things can take up, hear me, all of these things can take up much needed space. We have a tendency on the inside of our lives to just think, man, we'll just accrue everything, right? Life's like a buffet. I'll go over here, I'll go over here, I'll go over here, and we're so full, we can't even appreciate the meal that's in front of us. Well, the same can happen in our spiritual lives. If we're not careful to empty out the old, to empty out the areas that need to be moved on, we won't have made space for the blessings that God has for us, for the favor that he's calling us into, for the promises that he's spoken into our lives. It requires some partnership. Because I know sometimes when I speak a message like this or I speak into a season, there's some of you who over your head you are thinking, God, when is it going to happen? And that's a great question. I've got a few of those arenas too. Every once in a while though, I have to hear back, Paul, when you make some room, when you move some things on, when you partner with me to move out so that I can move in. Last year, I buckled. We went ahead with a much-needed 
bedroom upgrade. I folded like a house of cards. Kelly, unbeknownst to me, my wife had been prepping and planning. I think she had been strategizing for over a year. She must have found me after my soccer team won or after a good meal, and she approached with some ideas. And then, husbands, you understand, she knew our vulnerable spot. She brought up a new bed, new pillow, the decor I'm unaware of. But you mentioned a new pillow, a new bed, and promises of how much fitter you'll feel and how much healthier you feel. I was like, well, this does sound like a good idea. And so last November, you know, leading up to Thanksgiving and Christmas down, down the way, we decided to redo, in fairness, over 15 years of marriage. It was the first bed we had bought, so it needed to happen. But in order, this is going to sound obvious, but in order to bring that new bed in, I'm going to say something obvious, the old bed had to move out. In order to bring in new nightstands, we had to remove the old nightstands. A new dresser, get the old dresser out. Old paint, we had to repaint, had to remodel. Take the old blinds out, bring the new ones in. If we hadn't, the room would have not been able to serve its purpose, would have lacked functionality. Sometimes in our spiritual journey, the same is true for our life. Have you ever tried holding on to bitterness and the promise of God in and over your life? They battle one another. Have you ever tried um, maintaining jealousy, a competitive nature, and falling for the comparison trap, and at the same time stepping into your identity in Christ? Oh, it's very difficult to do both at the same time. Jesus comes along in the Gospels, and he is showing the way to the Father. And he is stirring up trouble everywhere the man goes. And who is he stirring up trouble with? The religious leaders. Because they had a set way of doing things. They had an old tradition that you just didn't mess with. There were certain places you healed people. And there were certain days you didn't heal people. And Jesus comes along and says, I don't care. I carry the heart of the Father. And in one bold move, these Pharisees, these religious leaders, and I'm sure some of the Sadducees as well, they're looking at Jesus and they ask this really important question. Jesus why don't your disciples fast like everybody else's disciples? And Jesus thinks about it for a little bit. And then he gives this profound teaching, Matthew 9, 16 and 17. He says, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wine skins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine 
into new wineskins, and both are preserved. 2,000 years ago, for people to step in and embrace the teachings of Jesus, they had to move some things on. They had to move some things out so that they could receive all God's truth, all God's goodness in and over their lives. Have you ever wondered, there are these moments in the Gospels where, as a teenager, I'd read these and think, this is a bit strange. It's a blind man. Of course he wants to be healed. It's a, paral- it's a paralytic, for goodness sake. Of course he wants to be healed. It's somebody that's got seven demons in him. Of course they want to be free. Well, what do you see? Jesus comes alongside and he says, what would you like me to do for you? You're thinking, this is the strangest conversation ever. I'm not Captain Obvious, but I can tell you what he needs, what she needs. It's like, well, but you know, there are seasons in life that the pain moves in, sets up shop. And what was supposed to be a temporary resident has become a permanent resident. So Jesus would ask them, what would you like for me to do? Would you like to be healed? And I've pastored now for long enough to know that there are these moments where some people, and in some seasons, shame is too comfortable. Because if they were to let it go, they would have to receive their new identity in Christ. And sometimes that pivot, that transition can be too hard. So as followers of Christ, or if you're here growing in God's ways, my prayer, one of my hope, my encouragement is to come alongside and equip you to always be making room for God's goodness in your life. You know, I've hit on bitterness a few times. And uh, as I was studying this week, I was reminded of a story, two individuals. Lady's name is Mary Johnson, and the other man's name is O'Shea Israel. I don't know if you've heard this story before. Mary Johnson is a mother, and her teenage son at the time was at a party on a Friday night. And he probably shouldn't have been there, probably didn't need to be in that environment. We know, right, all the things, and I'm sure she had all those in her mind. It was one of those experiences where it went from bad to worse. A fight escalated, and her son was tragically murdered by O'Shea Israel. Mary Johnson loved God was trying to move forward in her life, trying to forgive. Can you imagine, without her son present, without her beloved at such a young age, taken from her, not in an accident or some freak moment, but out of hate, out of anger. Worst case scenario. But you know, she's getting close to God, and so what she does is she begins writing. She begins corresponding with O'Shea Israel while, while he's in prison. Shane wants nothing to do with her. He would get these letters, open them, throw them away. Get another letter, open them, throw them away. But then one day, 
a seed got planted on the inside. And a letter came, and she said, hey, could I visit you? For whatever reason, he said yes. The story recounts that she showed up to the prison. The guards allowed, I don't know for whatever reason, for them to hug for a moment. And in that moment, Mary Johnson said that a burden and a weight that she had been carrying for over a decade was released as she was able to forgive O'Shea. And we think, wow, end of story. Far from it. She would continue to build relationship with O'Shea, even to the point where he became her adopted son. The murderer of her own son, through forgiveness, was able to pave the way for such remarkable healing. Not only Mary Johnson's own soul, but notice, a restoration of relationship. O'Shea would land up moving into the house next door. It's remarkable what God can do when we're able to move our bitterness on. I bring that story up because it's so profound. And yet it's such a revelation, I believe, of God's heart towards you and towards me. Billy, in that ministry moment, as he shared, what did he say? He said, while we were yet, what? Sinners. Not when we had life together. Not when everything was perfect. Not when we were having, quote unquote, a good day, a good week, a good year, did we come to Christ. No, it was in our deepest, darkest. It's in the act that O'Shea was taking another's life that Christ died. The same is true for you and me. One of my favorite disciples of Jesus is Simon Peter. Simon Peter was doing something good. He came up to Jesus and he said, listen, Rabbi, you know, I've been following you for a while. I've noticed you're a man of mercy. You're full of forgiveness. And so I'm going to throw something out here, just a little pitch. He says, how many times must I forgive a brother? Up to seven times, which... That's pretty generous in studying Torah. And for those disciples, it wasn't a low amount. That's about as high as you go. Up to seven times? What does Jesus say? No, 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 no. Seventy times seven. For those of you that are slightly OCD like me in moments, Jesus wasn't actually meaning 490 times, okay? He was meaning every time. We forgive. Doesn't mean we forget. Doesn't mean it's easy to move on. But in order, I believe, there are seasons to receive God's goodness. We have to press into the pain, begin to understand why the bitterness is there, and then hold his hand to walk through forgiveness, walk through healing, walk through letting someone who's offended or done us wrong, let them go. I remember one particular time the Lord was leading me through this. He kind of tricked me into it, I should say. It was a little sneaky because I was praying. I was doing the pastoral thing. I had um, turned the lights down. It wasn't here. It was ministry time in Florida. 
turn the lights down low, got my favorite worship songs playing, just kind of singing them, praying them. You know, you know how we do. We do this over your seats too, praying over every seat, getting that anointing oil, you know, just covering it all. And I'm just going through and God says, hey, why don't you stop? Why don't you just sit down and rest? I said, okay. So I sat down. Then he said, would you grab a piece of paper and a Sharpie? I thought, okay. We're going to dream for a little bit. We're going to get some big vision going on. Then the Lord said, this man who was on our staff, he said, this man that, that you've been working with, he said, you've got a laundry list of items that you're holding against him. And I said, no, not me, God. I'm perfect, don't you know? It's not me. And I said, ouch, you're right. And so he said, I want you to write down every place they've missed the mark. Every missed expectation you're carrying, I want you to write it down. You know, I could have pretended to be good, right? We do that as humans. Well, I'm just, I'm just going to save face. You know, God, really, it's not that big of a deal. But I took the plunge. Some of them were very hard to write down. I just wrote down a few things. And then God said, hey, would you be willing to let every one of those go? And I said, I would. And so I took out the Sharpie, and I, I had that list, and I just read it, just marked it through. I read the next one, I marked it through. I read the next one, I marked it through. Never received apology. Never had to. Because I released the hold the missed expectations were having over my heart. Bitterness can block the way forward to receiving God's goodness in our lives. Barry Johnson experienced that with O'Shea Israel. There was no forgetting. There was no writing it off like nothing happened. There was only the hard look at the pain that was caused and a deep sense of God's love and grace that led her forward to forgive. It's remarkable what God can do from the forging in that fire God created a national ministry that Mary Johnson O'Shea, they go around, talk about the power of redemption, talk about the power of forgiveness. Nobody can forgive on your behalf. You may need to. I'm not proposing. I'm just saying you may need to this week. Get alone with the Lord. Put them all down. All the moments. Because I'm telling you, life is fast. Life moves quite quickly, if you hadn't noticed. And our hearts continue to accrue, accrue, accrue things in our lives. Jesus may be looking you in the eye and saying, man, like he did me. Paul, how, how long are you going to hold on to the old wineskin? And I'm like, but God, it's really comfortable. It's really convenient. 
I've got a sling for it. I tuck it right under my jacket. Plus, the wine is delicious. It's good. And Jesus comes along. He says, man, I've got new wine for your soul. I've got new wine. I'm rewriting the generation you're living in. If you would only just give it to me and let me give you new wine. If you're familiar with the Chosen series, just by the way, around here we love the Chosen series. No pressure, no pressure. It takes a little bit. It takes a little bit. But there's this scene with Nicodemus. And Nicodemus and Jesus, they're talking. And he said, listen, Nicodemus, you must be born again. He's not simply alluding to eternal salvation. He's alluding to the kingdom that is here now. Nicodemus, to experience the heart of the Father and be able to take that heart and share it with the world around you, you must be born again. Nicodemus looks at him and says, I don't think my mother would appreciate me attempting to get back in her womb. Like, that's a (laughs) no-go. Jesus says, no, 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 you must be born of the Spirit. Born of the Spirit. And you know, Jesus, I believe he invites us. And again, I'm not saying this in every season of life. But for some of you, this may be the season. You are believing God for good things. You are declaring by faith promises and truths. But at the same time, we partner with God. The old wineskin must be removed, and I must receive the new wine, the new wineskin. I think about Zacchaeus. I'll end with a couple of my favorite characters. Zacchaeus. I don't know a lot about Zacchaeus, but I knew I know two things the story gives us. <clears throat> One, it happens in the city of Jericho. City of Jericho was possibly one of the most famous cities in Israel. It's where they made their first mark in getting the promised land from God. It's a beautiful picture. They obey God, do some strange things that God told them to do, and the walls came tumbling down. Zacchaeus was far from free. He was bound by allegiance to Rome, which is a no bueno if you are an Israelite. He was not only a casual tax collector, he was the chief tax collector of the city of Jericho. We can translate as he's cheating all of his brothers out of money. He's keeping records upon records upon records of wrong. Well, he's fascinated by this one they call the Christ, the Savior. And so he climbs onto a tree and begins to look out. And Jesus comes right up to the tree, looks him in his face and says, Zacchaeus, do you have room for my goodness? Are you willing to move some things on and make room for the kingdom of God in your life? Jesus never, though, begins with that. He simply said, would you be willing to have lunch? (laughs) And Zacchaeus says, of course, that would be great. We don't get any details of the lunch and the meal that they had together, but we do get details of the transformation that took place as Zacchaeus would make room for God's kingdom and God's work in his life. Luke 19.8, we can bring that up. It says, Zacchaeus stood up, said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half 
of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. It would be a few fun days in Jericho. You know what I mean? I don't know, maybe that happened on a, on a Wednesday. And on the Thursday, you can almost see Zacchaeus. He's slicking back his hair, combing his beard, putting on the, you know, Old Spice. I mean, he's getting spruced up. He's got his sandals on. He's clicking his heels as he walks out. He's probably got some, some servants carrying the cash with him. So they, he's thinking, man, you know whose house I'm going to I'm going to go up to Josh's house first. Man, I've really cheated Josh out of a lot of money. All right. And he knocks on the door. Josh is up at 4.30 a.m. So Josh opens the door and he's, he's like, hey, how you doing? Oh. Zacchaeus, what do you want? Zacchaeus says, surprise. Band starts playing. A box comes with all of the money that he had been cheated out of. I mean, it's restoration. And Jesus responds and says, today, salvation has come to the house of Zacchaeus. But that's the tension we live in. If you're here and you're a new Christian, I hope it doesn't come as a surprise. But God perpetually asks us to continue transforming and changing and transforming and changing. And with each experience, with each moment, He really is inviting us to make room for His goodness in our lives. For me, part of my journey was a mindset thing. It was trusting God, but it was also believing that He was good, that He is good, that He is good, that He is good, that He is good, and that He doesn't have an off day. I kept thinking, maybe it's me approaching Him on an off day. And I realized... He didn't need a shift or change. I had faulty thinking. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, 22 through 24. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. But verse 23 began to ring true in my life. It says, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Come on, if you're anything like me, you're used to people walking up and saying, you got a bit of an attitude. Your attitude is showing. Your Facebook, I mean, your attitude is showing, right? So, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. A mindset is an attitude of your mind. Lord had to rewire, renew my mind. Look at it. Those of you who've been on the journey a long time, listen, Paul time and time and time again. Yes, they talk about the heart a lot, but they talk about the mind a lot. Paul encourages us, we can't afford to have any thought that God isn't having about us. 
just can't afford to live life with less than thinking. And from my own heart, Lord had to remove some of that negativity. And it took practice. My goodness, it takes a lot of practice. You're not just handed it and you got it figured it out. You think about this. We employ plenty of people who are just practicing. Your doctor this week is incredible. But somewhere in the paperwork, it clearly says they are practicing medicine. Isn't that a consoling thought? Goodness. Practicing law. Some of you are like, amen. No, I mean, what are they... There's, there's room for growth. There's room for learning. We haven't arrived. And for us, we have to practice a new mindset, new way of thinking. And when we look into our future and see nothing but storm clouds and volcanoes and lava over everything, we need to think, hmm, that doesn't sound like the Lord. Delete. And then we pivot into the goodness into the kindness, and to the long-suffering, to the mercy, to the patience He shows us. So we're going to end, and I'm going to teach you a short prayer. I mean, it's probably scripture you already have memorized. It's out of Psalm 139, verse 23, 24. And I'm not even going to expound upon it. I'm just going to give it to you, and I want you to pray it every day this week, and I want you to put a couple minutes on the back end of the prayer to actually let God whisper or bring something to your mind. Here's the prayer, Psalm 139, 23 through 34. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. There may be a phone call that needs to be had. There may be a letter that needs to be written. There may be a gift that needs to be bought. There may simply be a pad of paper and a Sharpie where you need to take a moment and write down the places of pain, the places of hurt, and let God meet you in that space. Because on the other side of bitterness, there's a breakthrough. The other side of hurt, there's a healing. The other side of the pain, there's a promise. All the while, God is asking, will you be willing to make room for my goodness to be poured out in your life?